Transitioning from student to professional honestly feels like jumping off a cliff. You spend so much time preparing and studying and you get there and now you're responsible for people's lives. How do you know you're really ready? I think all of us experience that imposter syndrome, imposter phenomenon. I remember what it was like for me to transition to being a new grad nurse and a new grad CRNA. What was the transition like for you when you first graduated nursing school? I think the transitions from nursing student to registered nurse and the transition from sRNA or rRNA to cRNA are two totally different experiences. I think so too. I'm really excited to talk about first the experience from transitioning from nursing student to new grad registered nurse. So for me, I graduated in 2019. I had been working in healthcare since 2017 as a CNA. So I had a little bit more exposure than some nursing students might just from working in first a nursing home and then working in the burn ICU and the CTICU. I worked pretty much full time throughout nursing school as a CNA. Oh well. And one of the first things that really kind of hit me was I struggled to kind of transition from CNA mindset to nurse mindset. I was very much focused on activities of daily living and tasks, even at the whole unit level versus on some of my nursing-based interventions at first. So it would be easy to get caught up on little teeth brushing, room tidying, patient cleaning type of activities versus really getting my charting done and like thinking ahead and thinking proactively instead of reactively in that way. So the first like month of being a nurse, that was something I kind of struggled with was transitioning out of like, how do I keep the unit stocked and my patients all clean, which patients still do need to be clean, but really kind of transitioning from the role of like the nursing assistant into the role of the registered nurse. And then the provider communication was a huge piece of that, learning how to think proactively and not reactively, and then even thinking ahead on medications and administration of all of my different nursing interventions and drawing labs. All of that was like a massive adjustment. And how was your like orientation experience overall? So I actually want to backtrack and go back to something that you said. I think that 100% of new grad nurses struggle with being too task oriented. Yeah. <laughs> I actually don't think that has to do with being stuck in the CNA mindset at all. I think it's part of the natural learning process because mm -hmm. those are like your foundational pieces of adjusting to the new professional role. All of those tasks, like, like let's say you were never even a CNA before and you're just a new grad nurse who's only gone through clinical. First and foremost, the majority of what you've been allowed to do as a nursing student is tasks. Yeah. <laughs> Second of all, each and every one of those tasks, they sound so mundane to us right now, but those were big things to conquer. Like a well, central line dressing change. Oh my gosh, you maybe only did one or two of those in school, and that was a big deal, right? And you would maybe take 30 minutes doing it. Or none. Even just learning how to give like a bed bath correctly is really hard on a patient who is critically ill. You're afraid of moving the lines. You have to do like so many different tasks, you're doing like a CHG bath, you're changing over the EKG leads, you're trying to do things in a way that makes sense while also avoiding really high risk equipment. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to pull out someone's dialysis catheter when you're yeah. turning them, for example, <laughs> or extubate them. So these tasks are big hills to conquer when you're a new grad. Learning to zoom out to that big picture mindset should be the goal 
of every orientee. Like by the time I come off orientation, I need to be able to see the entire day, see the entire clinical picture of what's going on with the patient. But every new grad struggles with that. And you'll see too, when you hit the operating room more as an RRNA and you start doing more complex cases, we really focus on training new anesthesia professionals in the same way. At first, they're very focused on learning intubation. Mm -hmm. Everyone's obsessed with getting intubations and they think they had a bad day if they missed the tube. And all I care about as the preceptor is, I need you to see the clinical picture, what's happening with the patient. Mm. A monkey can put in a breathing tube. I need you to be a clinician. So this is like the big hurdle, I think, from any student to professional transition. I agree. I now, in retrospect, I think operating as like in a tech role is more helpful than anything else. I don't want it to be construed that like being a CNA is not helpful. It's very helpful. But how do you get from taskiness to big picture mindset? How do you zoom out? And that is a process that hopefully your preceptor is going to guide you through a little bit as a new grad nurse. It is different at the graduate school level, right? Because like there's a level of expectation there and your preceptors at clinical are there to guide you, but also at the same time, there's a lot more that's expected in grad school. But kind of back to like the bedside nursing transition, something that was huge in terms of like starting to see the zooming out picture would be, I had a really good preceptor, Albert. We love Albert, he's amazing. He was a charge nurse and a preceptor and he was just really, really, really sharp clinically and he also really liked teaching, which I super appreciated. There were pretty clear goals that were set and expectations that were set for me as a new grad that set the foundation for me to kind of get out of getting stuck in the weeds. If you have ever precepted a new grad, you will see them deer in the headlights, stuck in the weeds, just doing a bunch of tasks. And you can see in their face that they are like overwhelmed and overstimulated with the amount that they need to do in that patient room. And I think that there are a few things that you can do kind of as a preceptor to help them out of that. And the first is setting time goals expectations. Mm -hmm which in the Compton Care Academy membership, we have an hour by hour time sheet for what you need to do each hour. And then from there, you then need to be able to ask yourself, what are the big goals of the day for this ICU patient or for this critical patient? That was one of my favorite lectures that we did actually, was yeah. understanding the H&P, the history and physical, for those of you who that terminology is new for. I think that again, zooming out at the big picture starts with the beginning of your day. I remember for me as a new grad, I had a really tough transition because I didn't have a consistent preceptor. I had two primary preceptors assigned to me, but one of them quit very early on in my orientation. And she's so cute, we actually stay in touch. And she's always really <laughs> upset when she's like, I'm sorry, I abandoned you. Like she still apologizes to this day. I forgive you, Denise. I'm happy that you went to cath lab. Chrissy still has abandonment issues to this day because of Denise. I'm kidding. I still have abandonment <laughs> issues. And my second preceptor, Melody, who is my nurse mom, mm -hmm. she does primarily night shift. So I didn't work with her until much later in my orientation. Right. So for my first several months of orientation, I was bounced to a different person every day. So without those clear goals, expectations, and picking up where we left off, there was a lot of one person would want me to focus on something one way, another a different way, and it was really extra hard for me to transition from that taskiness to that clinician mindset. Again, back to that understanding the HMP lecture that's in the Confident Care Academy membership as well. Starting out by just reading the note, the patient's admission note, the patient's most recent provider note, looking at the big picture of like the one-liner of why are they here? What is the past medical history that contributed to why they're here? 
what's going on now and then yes like what are their other comorbid conditions that may or may not be affecting what's happening today helps you kind of think about all the safety considerations mm -hmm. and the purpose of your nursing interventions and your game plan and that's also how i form my anesthetic plan in the or today by the way like i go through all of their provider notes for every single patient who comes to me so starting out with that very basic foundation of just reading the note and understanding the important information to pull out mm. is the first thing that's going to prime your brain for understanding the big picture. I think the next thing is communication. So as a nursing student, the expectation is really low for nursing students. Like you're there, you're maybe going to get a lot of, you're going to get vital signs, you're going to do a few physical assessments, but you might not even do more than a few med passes in nursing school, to be quite honest. Like you get maybe 16 clinical days on a med search floor where you're going to give aspirin and clonopin or something like that. So if you're starting off in critical care, ER or ICU, and then all of a sudden you're expected to communicate with your preceptor about what your patient assessment findings are with your charge nurse and with pro the provider team, that is something that you've probably not really practiced that much. Like you've probably done a few over the phone simulations and sim lab in nursing school about how to call a provider, but it's really so different from hey, my patient is now bleeding, what do I need to do? Or, hey, this patient, are they ready to transfer out of the unit? And how do I communicate with my charge nurse so that they know about bed movement early in the day? They're, these are things that you just don't really learn in nursing school. And we have another episode on this podcast about provider communication that I think is so, so helpful because it'll teach you really how to kind of dive in and communicate with the provider team like proactively so that they are, you are answering all the questions that they want to hear before they have to kind of pull that out of you. And that's something that's just going to take practice because, again, it's just, like, really not taught in nursing school. I never practiced it once in nursing school. <laughs> not ever. <laughs> not in the sim lab. Like, what? It's just, that's such a learning curve. And I think one thing that one of my preceptors did that I thought was really, really helpful was set expectations that... I's and O's needed to be charted within five minutes before or after the hour, every hour. And then if I was sending labs, that also had to be rechecked within five minutes before and after the hour. And this was like a morning lab, afternoon lab, evening lab type of situation for the fresh, fresh post-op patients. And when it gets cut, when it gets back, circles back to getting caught in the weeds as a new grad, as a new grad, you don't necessarily know that organizing the linen in the room is less important than rechecking the H and H on a patient. So, or maybe you know that when you say it out loud, but in the moment in time, you're thinking like, <laughs> "Oh, it'll just take me a second, right? Or, "Oh, I don't want my preceptor to be annoyed because this is something that they've spoken to me about before, right?" And then in that moment, it ends up taking you longer because you're awkward or like there's something else happening, and then you forget about the H and H. That's really the most common scenario, right? And then that circles back to just getting caught in the weeds. Like you, <laughs> as a new grad, you don't ever want to be stuck in a patient's room for like longer than 45 minutes. I have a good story about this. <laughs> this is, this okay. is embarrassing actually. So I was a new grad, ICU nurse, and many of you already know this about my personal life, but I had an older sister, she was four years older than me, her name was Marissa, and she was born with a congenital heart defect, and when she was 27, she died of an aortic aneurysm rupture, 
two weeks before I started in the cardiac surgery ICU where half of our patients had aortic aneurysms and aortic dissections. so hard. I was on orientation and I was brand new and I was getting caught in the weeds. There was, I was on the way to talk to the provider mm -hmm. about our patient who had a type B dissection. For those of you who don't know what that is, that's on the descending portion of the aorta, meaning after the arch. And a dissection is like a tear in the vessel wall, essentially. Not like a tear all the way through. It's almost like the muscle of like the vessel. Damage. The muscle of the vessel itself is like actually shearing apart. And it could result in a rupture if you don't keep the blood pressure low. So that's your number one priority for this patient. And as a person who just experienced witnessing this firsthand not too long ago, I was very aware of how important that was. And we were struggling to get our patient's blood pressure down. They were already on a nicrotipine infusion and we needed to start a labetalol infusion um, because our additional pushes of hydralazine and labetalol were not doing it. So I went to go talk to the provider about starting a labetalol infusion. And on the way, someone's alarm was beeping and I went to just go turn it off really quick. Um, it was like a beeping pump. And then the beeping pump wouldn't stop beeping. And I was just getting like stuck at this pump and my preceptor found me and she's like, what are you doing? Like, we have to go talk to the provider. Like what, don't you know what could happen with a dissection if you don't get the blood pressure down? You're like, I know. <laughs> I immediately burst into tears. <laughs> well, and that kind of leads into the really big emotions that come with being a new grad in critical care and also being a young person. For many people, this is your first real big job. It was And mine. people's lives are quite literally in your hands, right? So that is one of the hugest transitions from being a nursing student to being a new grad critical care nurse. You're what, like 22, like 21 yeah. for some people? You yeah. are young and these people are sick. Mm -hmm. So like, this is the next point. How does transitioning from the role of student to professional really kind of tie into those big feelings of anxiety, stress, some depression, like self-care. This is a big topic, especially in critical care, right? Because it's a, it's a hard job. For me, the biggest lesson that I learned that helped my anxiety as a new grad was, and by the way, it took me like a year to figure this out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully me giving you these words of wisdom now will cut down that. Yeah, learn curve. from our mistakes. <laughs> learn from our mistakes. Don't cry like I did. Yeah. You can cry. Just do it in the supply closet. Find your safe supply. Find the safe supply find closet. Find safe supply closet. So learning what's in your control and what's not in your control mm. was the number one thing that I would say cured my new grad anxiety. By the way, we have a new grad anxiety video, which we'll link below as well. Check out the episode. So we'll dive more into that in that episode. Definitely check it out. But understanding that it's not in my control if someone has an aortic dissection. What is in my control is recognizing signs and symptoms of it getting worse. Mm. I can proactively advocate to the provider to escalate. I could know how to titrate my infusions. I can be really attentive to the situation of assessment and monitoring. Those things are in my control, but what the patient's physiology ultimately does is not in my hands. I'm not a magician and I'm not God. So learning to separate those two things and learning to be take advantage of what's in your control as much as you can by preparing ahead. So study outside of work everything you need to study. That's why we invented Confident Care Academy, the membership, so that you know the in-depth 
physiology of what's going on with your patient so that you know the in-depth pharmacology of the drugs you're using. Take control of that part, the knowledge and the assessment and the skill set, and then the rest learn to let go of. And that for me was the biggest anxiety reducing component. So boiling that down, things that help with anxiety are taking control over making sure that you are a knowledgeable ICU nurse. How are you going to do that? Invest in educational resources. We made Coffee Care Academy for people who are essentially us like four or five years ago. Like the reason that Chrissy and I both came together to start working on this is like we just wished that there were more resources. Ten, for... ten years ago for me now. Ten years ago, ten yeah. Ten years ago, guys. <laughs> well, and that's... I cried about that dissection ten years ago. <laughs> That's and crazy. it's still something that to this day is impactful, right? Because you wanted so desperately as a new grad to take good care of your patients. Right. And we wanted to make resources so that y'all are empowered to do that. So definitely check out Confident Care Academy. There's other resources available on the internet. But invest in your education because your education did not stop at nursing school. In fact, nursing school was the bare minimum of your education to qualify you to walk in the door. That was just so you could pass your boards. Your critical care education started the first day that you set foot in the ICU. And even your critical care education from the nurse educators from your critical care department, it's not enough for you to really be like a confident, confident, safe critical care nurse. So invest in your training outside of work. And then I agree, Chrissy, like let go of what's not in your control. Also, especially if you like weren't working in the ICU prior to being a new grad in the ICU, I think it's very shocking for a lot of people to realize, like, oh my gosh, these people are really sick. Yeah. And these people are the sickest in your state. Some are the sickest in, like, multiple state areas. And when you get the sickest people in a multi-state area, sometimes the outcomes are not good, and that is not within your control. Things that are in your control is making sure that you really understand the medications that you're giving and why you're doing it, and that you understand, like, the why behind everything that's happening. Definitely. But I feel like this actually isn't in our script or our outline, but I think one of the things in transitioning from student to professional that is so impactful is understanding that you also will make mistakes. I end up, how do you approach those mistakes, right? So I've made multiple mistakes as a new grad nurse. One of the big mistakes, which is, it was a big mistake, right? I had two medications in my pocket and a patient was agitated. I was supposed to go give Ativan. I gave hydralazine. Both were in my pocket. I did not double check what I was giving and the patient was hypotensive and we had to give a little bit of phenylephrine to pull the patient's blood pressure back up because I immediately realized like what I had done and I called the provider in the room. I reported myself. We did a whole incident report. I met with my manager. We talked about it. What did I learn from that at the end of the day? What I learned is that I need to be incredibly present when I'm administering medications the learning that I thought at first was, oh, I need to just scan my meds. That actually ties into anesthesia. We don't just, we don't scan in the OR, right? So like, what's the takeaway here? The takeaway is like, we need to be vigilant and really understand what we're giving and why we're giving it. Not rely on these other kind of outside parameter safety metrics because like during COVID, the scanners were down or the scans were outside the room or we were pulling medications off of a pallet and then giving them to patients. Like, you can't rely on all of these external safety features. You have to be safe in your own practice. Well, right? you're not always going to have a scanner anyway. When you right. go to an off-site like MRI, you might not have a scanner down there. You, the power goes out. Your scanner's not yeah. going to work. The scanner's missing. Not every hospital has scanners still. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So going back to your five rights of medication administration every time, 
including right rationale, understanding the why, mm-hmm. but also labeling vigilantly. Like you should not have two syringes of liquid drawn up in your pocket That's and then have them and they should both be labeled and they should also have the concentration on there. And you should not have two medications in your pocket that are both drawn up as, as a nurse an anesthesia, we do it. But if you are going to do something like that, make sure it's labeled and then mm-hmm. make sure you're checking the label right before you push it. It's so easy to swap things. And even with scanners, it's so easy to just, like, you could scan one vial and give the other medication. Like, that's not really going to stop you from making a mistake. So it's all about vigilance and slowing down and paying attention to what you're doing. And be thorough in everything we do. We talk about checklists Mm -hmm. and how they're so important for safety. uh, We have an assessment checklist freebie in the Confident Care Academy membership also. That's like another way to like slow down your day and make sure you're being thorough as a new grad, right? It's like the assessment checklist is on the first page and then we have the report and time management sheet on the other one. Right. In that transition, making sure you're using checklists as safeguards and going back to the basics, you do know what to do. Even if you're not an expert on the subject, even if you're not an expert on aortic dissections and you don't know what a type B means, you can still thoroughly assess your patient and be diligent in your medication administration and have safe and proactive provider communication. Those are the things that you are ready for. So those are like one of the biggest components of going from a new grad nurse, a student to a new grad nurse. I want to ask you about what it's been like for the reverse transition. I remember what it was like for me, but it's hard to go back from once you've acclimated into being a professional yeah. nurse and like you're comfortable <laughs> in your unit, you're confident in your skill set to going back to being a student again. That's a really hard transition, especially for nurses who were like queen bees on their unit. I think they struggle most of all. I think they do struggle most of all. So to go from being an ICU nurse back to being a student again is it's a very humbling experience. And I think one of the biggest things I've realized so far, I just started year two of CRNA school, but I'm quickly realizing how much I don't know. Like even about the pathophysiology that I thought that I understood as an ICU nurse or the pharmacology that I thought that I understood, I'm realizing how much there is to learn. And there, we have a whole podcast episode about travel nursing before CRNA school, like the pros and cons. I don't think it's the right path for everybody. I think particularly the people who ended up traveling during the heyday of COVID-19 had a different travel experience than people who end up taking kind of lower acuity contracts. But what I will say is check out that episode. Being a travel nurse really forces you to be proactive in your communication and also to be flexible and humble to a certain extent. Because every single three months where you're starting over, the providers don't know you and they assume you have no idea what you're talking about. The right. staff nurses don't know you and they have no they they assume that you have no idea what you're talking about. So you are not comfortable and stagnant in a role on an ICU where you're getting all the good assignments all the time and you are referred to as like the resource. When you're a travel nurse, the opposite is assumed and then you can overcome that, but that more closely mirrors the role of a student in the OR or a resident in the OR where you have to use your words and you have to communicate the plan of care, and you have to be like super open to feedback. So we have in the provider communication episode that we had from a while ago, one of the things that little tips that I recommend is instead of when somebody offers correction or feedback or information, like don't ever say like, I know, <laughs> say thank you. Or like, I hadn't heard it that way before. Or, oh, that sounds good. And so there's a lot of 
knowledge that is imparted from people who are currency RNAs into people who are rRNAs. There will also be a lot of knowledge that's imparted that's not entirely correct, which is something I'm already I'm also already coming across, right? So like people who've been in practice for like 20, 30 years, maybe they're teaching me something about a mechanism that they understood as correct back in their day. It's no longer currently reflective of what's clinically accurate. As my place as a student, especially as an early on in my like career, what's the right thing to do? Say, oh, that's really interesting that way. Or like, thank you for going over that with me, right? Because it's like, you are not trying to make waves, you're trying to accept knowledge from everybody, and you gotta be humble but proactive, I think is what they wanna see from students. Like, they wanna see that we are like looking things up and that we are giving an effort. So you don't ever, I even, which, this is the same if you're precepting a new grad nurse, right? Like, you don't wanna see somebody be lazy. So you wanna see somebody who is like proactively looking up their cases, somebody who's trying their best and then asking for input from people who are more experienced. And then with preceptors, we just got to take everything they say with a grain of salt. And it's a big learning experience and you got to eat humble pie every day, but it's worth it. There is a way to approach it. If you have a preceptor who's telling me something that's really far out there, (laughs) which like there shouldn't be, right? We have a lot of continuing education requirements. Like it, it shouldn't be anything major if they're saying something that's a little old. But one way you could approach it, if it was something that was more important to patient safety Mm -hmm. or like the care of the patient is you could approach it with a question like oh that's interesting in class we were talking about this and that or oh i just read this study um like have you heard of this or what do you think about that you can just invite dialogue Mm -hmm. and sometimes a preceptor will say like oh that's interesting let me see that article or they'll say oh tell me more about that right i really enjoy when students challenge me with new information you guys will have like the latest and greatest of everything being presented to you at all times. Sometimes students teach me things. One thing that I absolutely cannot stand as a preceptor, like I am such a patient person and an understanding person. And I I like to think of myself as a very kind preceptor, but one way to internally make my blood boil, I'll I'll try really hard not to show it, but one way to get me going (laughs) is when a student cuts you off before you finish talking, (laughs) and either like corrects you or acts like they know and I didn't even finish my sentence yet do you know how many people do that don't do that what's the male female demographic breakdown on usually men it's usually male srnas who are super confident and overconfident and cocky they like think that's like inappropriate by the way and I'll be like (laughs) I'll be like that's nice that's not what I was gonna say at all can you (laughs) wait until I'm done stop I'll be like I'll be like stop right there that's not what I'm talking about Listen to <laughs> the audacity. Oh my gosh. Don't do Don't that. Don't do that. It is pretty funny. But I've had girls do it too. It's also inappropriate. So this is something, a communication tip that I like, that I always use, when getting feedback about something that's like a preference versus a safety issue, like the way that somebody positions a blood pressure cuff or the way that somebody sets up their circuit or whatever. Well, so, and like, it might matter for certain cases. That's right. the thing. You don't always understand the context and the nuance. Yeah, especially if it's a case that you have only done a handful of times and you don't know everything about it. Because, shocker, you don't know everything as a student. Anyway, so I like the thank you as when whenever somebody's taking time out of their day to try to teach you something, even if it's a preference thing, I usually like thank you or like oh that's interesting and then if it's something like you're saying if it's a practice difference or maybe there's new research or maybe the thing that they're trying to teach you uh is out of date and it's more relevant to the case and it's not like a just preference thing it's a safety thing 
one of the ways that I like to like bring up dialogue is be like the phrasing of, oh, my understanding from what we were just talking about in lecture was that this is the mechanism and I was just doing a paper about this, but I'm interested interested to hear like like you're saying, like inviting dialogue. Saying and starting off something with my understanding is this is inherently like, hey, I heard something different, but it's also not very grating in disagreeing in disagreement. It's just saying like what your current understanding is, but inviting dialogue to update your understanding or for them to update their understanding of something. Or you could also say, let's say it's like something just new to you and you need clarification. Yeah. Hey, for my learning, you don't want to... Huge. This is huge for new grads. For my learning, can you talk me through this? Da, 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 da. Yeah, you don't want to accidentally come off as though you're telling a person that they're wrong. Because sometimes you're asking for clarification sincerely. But it's but coming you... across antagonistic a little bit. Like... Well, if you, <laughs> if you say it like, why did you do that? It sounds as though you're challenging them or implying that they're wrong. So well, you could be asking genuinely like, oh, could you teach me why you're doing it that way? Because yeah. you want to understand versus like, that's a good way to say that. Like for my learning, could you talk me through like why we did this and this and this? Would you mind clarifying for my understanding, for my learning? I think those are really great ways to open dialogue. And I still use it as a professional today. Um, I just had a discussion with someone on the OB floor the other day. Hey, this is not a criticism for my understanding. Why did you do it this way? Because my instinct would have been to do it this way. Is there something I'm not aware of or something Yeah. Something I'm not seeing here? And then we had a really great conversation, and the conclusion was both waves were right. Because especially in anesthesia, that's why it's called like an art for a reason, right? It's because it's kind of customize it, and there's a lot of different ways to get the same task done. So there's a lot to be learned there, right? And there's a lot to be learned in terms of even just like room setup for different cases, right? So lots to be learned in that sort of arena. And inviting dialogue and being overly communicative, especially as a new grad nurse, is going to be 100% in your favor. So as you're precepting residents in the OR, RRNAs, and as I've precepted new grad nurses, what I want to see from them is that they can communicate what they're doing and why, right? So... If you are a new grad nurse, practice communicating with your preceptor. Hey, every time before I go in the room, I'm about to go do this. I'm going to give it via this route, and then I'm going to prepare for this task and activity, and I'll be back. So they want to start to see that you're practicing to understand the workflow of the day. And then I haven't been in the OR for procedures and skills and checkoffs yet, but I know already that CRNAs want me to be able to vocalize like what I'm doing when I'm doing a procedure, right? So I'm like, oh, I'm opening, or I was doing what? I was practicing for art lines or practicing for intubations. They, you want for me to be able to say, like, what I'm seeing, right? Like, oh, I see chords and I'm doing da da da. Like, you have to be able to talk through what you're doing as you're doing it so that your preceptor knows that you understand why you're doing something. Also, so that we can, we want you to slow down through the skill. So, especially when you're learning to intubate, and I'm actually gonna do an entire intubation skills like demo on my dummy soon for you guys. Um, so stay tuned for that. Make sure you subscribe and like so that you get the notification when that pops on. But once we do that video, one of the most important things you'll see is that as a new person learning the skill of intubation or really any skill, we need you to slow down and say what you're doing that way we can stop you in that moment and tell you that micro adjustment that's going to help you succeed and or keep the patient safe. So for example, 
I want you to tell me I'm scissoring the jaw and then I could see that you're not doing enough and I'll be like, oh, do it like this and mm -hmm. help you open it wider. And then, because that's something nobody ever does right. And then <laughs> when you're putting in the blade, I want you to say, I see tongue. Okay, well, let's move the blade slightly farther to the right and actually correctly scoop the tongue. That's like the second very common issue that students struggle with. They don't really actually sweep the tongue because it's hard to wrap your brain around that. And also in the sim lab, the tongue is a solid piece of plastic. It is plastic. Not <laughs> it's not quite the same. Um, you know, and then I want you to tell me like, okay, I just see pink. I don't really see anything. Oh, that's because your blade's not in deep enough. Advance it three millimeters. Okay, I need you to be able to say that so that I can tell you what to do and how mm -hmm. to fix it. A lot of times students, like you're trying to tell them how to fix it and they're just going. And then, then they're like close to the teeth and then everybody yells at you and then you lose the opportunity to finish the intubation. Mm -hmm. So that practice of verbalizing is a way to force yourself to slow down and perceive correction. That's really helpful to hear kind of from the preceptor side of things because it, it's so interesting, right? It's like a continuum of learning, like nursing student to new grad nurse to someone who precepts other nurses back to the role of student again, right? So like such a continuum of learning. And then at the end and conclusion of tying this all up is there's not a ton of resources out there. Invest in yourself and the resources that are available. We of course recommend Confident Care Academy because we have poured a lot of time and resources and energy into making critical care resources for nursing students. We have a 50% off student discount that is around the clock, 24 seven. All students, whether grad students or undergrad, get 50% off of Confident Care Academy. Or if you're a new grad nurse, incredible resource. If you are precepting other new grad nurses, incredible resource for people who are precepting. And it's great for people who are also in anesthesia school. So we, of course, recommend Confident Care Academy. But regardless, definitely invest in yourself and your continued learning. And have grace with yourself because learning is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. And in nursing and in medicine, we are all lifelong learners together. Absolutely. Check out the, please subscribe to the channel or follow this podcast and then get notifications for when the podcasts are going to drop. It helps us if you download the podcast. If you're on YouTube, please comment what episode you would like us to talk about next. Thanks, guys. See ya.